Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Strevens. Now, joining me on the show this morning was Michael Oshry. Michael's a pretty well-known figure around Edmonton. He, he served on city council from 2013 to 2017. He's now running for mayor in the October 18th election. Uh, you know, prior to that, he, he's, a, he's a lifelong uh, business person and entrepreneur. Uh, one of his first ventures, go figure, was Remedy Cafe, which is a pretty well-known uh, coffee shop around town. Uh, in 1998, he co-founded the financial tech company Firma, foreign exchange. Yeah, it was it was nice to have him for an hour, obviously a busy guy campaigning and, and running a business. And we touched on as many issues, I think, as we could, uh, including, you know, the homeless, the homeless crisis in Edmonton, um, the economy, uh, the downtown, uh, some development issues that he sees. And, uh, you know, we touched on his some of his policy and platform ideas. Uh, smart guy, a sharp guy, obviously a real numbers guy. Uh, educated me very well on a lot of issues. Gracious for his time and gracious to a friend of the show who shall remain unnamed for helping set this interview up. Um, again, just a power hour with someone who knows a lot more about some of these issues than me. And uh, it, was a, it was a great education. So please enjoy this conversation with Michael Oshry. Okay, Michael Oshry, welcome to the uh, North Bank Media Podcast, and I, uh, I have to say thank you for your time. I know you're probably getting busy, so it's uh, much appreciated. Yeah, it is getting busy, um, but of course, I'm happy to be here, happy to chat. Cool. Look and forward to it. Awesome. And it was a constituent of yours, you were door knocking, and she said, would you like to do this podcast? And uh, I guess supporting small, supporting local is kind of your, your mandate, and this podcast is both, so... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, I've always been a fan of uh, you know local entities of any kind, and um, you know I've been spending a lot, a lot of my uh, uh, entrepreneur career and, and time in politics talking about a lot of the local mm-hmm. entities that are operating in the city. So I'm a huge fan of, huge fan of that, and it's important. Very cool, very cool. It is important because actually I was just informed that 90% of Edmonton's businesses or thereabouts are small to medium size. So that's kind of the, not just the heart, but the whole thing almost. Yeah, and you know, ninety percent of businesses in Alberta do a hundred percent of their business in Alberta. Huh. It's a crazy stat. So we've got to uh, first of all, we have to do something about that. But but <laughs> sure. but we do have to support our local entities for sure. No doubt. So I I've spoken as you may know. I spoke to Cheryl Watson on this show. I talked to uh, Daniel Haken and Derek Lady who are running for uh, city council. I started them with this question, and it's basically. Me personally, I'm skeptical about politics at scale, let's say national, provincial politics. Um, have you found that municipal politics maybe is a, is a place where real uh, day-to-day change can be affected by a small number of people? Well, 100% that's the case or else I wouldn't be doing, uh, wouldn't be running and I wouldn't have spent four years of my life <laughs> sure. previously on city council. You know, I actually have, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll never run for any federal or provincial okay. uh, government. You know, I, I think, well, I know that municipal level government is the closest to the people and does impact people's life on a day-to-day basis uh, significantly more than other, any other levels. And especially in Edmonton with the no party system, you know, right. individuals really make a, make a big difference. If you do the work and have uh, the experience, you can, you can make some significant changes that, uh, you know, affect, affect people on their day-to-day life and, 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 and even bigger issues as well. 
Right on. I guess, so the flip side, seeing as you've been on the inside for four years now, are, are there ways that you've seen in which maybe even you were surprised when you got in and here I'm in the position to do something and there's just, we can't get it done. There's, you know, there's personal interest, there's whatever ideology. Uh, were there ways that surprised you? It was not so easy in some ways. Um, you know, the, the, the surprise would be, and it's probably not a surprise for even people that don't know the intricacies of how government works, but government is typically not a very fast moving machine. And, you know, you know, at the municipal level, you can really make some differences and you can really, um, you know, move the needle on a lot of these things, but a lot of, a lot of, um, I'll say the bureaucrats and a lot of actually even elected officials are really worried about making mistakes Mm. and they really want to cover themselves and they're like not very I'll say entrepreneurial and they're very <laughs> risk adverse because if something doesn't work out they they really get uh, they get in trouble I was going to use another word but I don't know how are you allowed am I allowed to use all the words in the English language every one of them yeah okay perfect um so they don't want to get in shit right uh-huh. so and um, whether that's um you know government officials or elect or or the bureaucrats and so because of that it just makes this culture of of uh, the opposite of entrepreneurship and risk adverse and sure. being careful and getting reports over and over again. And it really delays a lot of the decisions and a lot of the projects, which, so I understand that's sort of how government goes, but at a municipal level, I think there's an opportunity to take a bit of chances, take, take some risks. And I don't mean like, you know, haphazardly building an LRT line, you know, I get, you got to spend years and millions of dollars making sure that's right. But there's lots of smaller things the city does that, just try it out. If it doesn't work, you just say, sorry, we tried Hmm. our mistake, or we don't even think it's a mistake, but it didn't work out. Uh, Let's move on to the next thing. And so, so um, that's my long answer to your, to your question um, that there are some challenges with dealing, dealing with the bureaucracy and trying to get the needle moved from time to time. Right on. And when you say bureaucracy, is that sort of outside of council and and mayor, like there's middle management or there's, forgive me, I don't really know the ins and outs, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of everything, you know. So there's, I mean, the the quick hierarchy, I'll say, of of the city. You know, you've got the the mayor, and then you've got city councilors, and then they actually only have one employee technically, which is the city manager hmm. uh, and the city auditor. So I guess two, because the auditor does not report to the manager. So tape two, but then really everybody else, for the most part, reports to the city manager. And so council is only really allowed to direct the city manager, who then directs everybody below that him or her. Um, and, uh, and then there's levels of bureaucracy, you know, like the equivalent of like vice presidents, sure. director, all the way down, you know, to 12 or 14,000 people. And so, you know, the, you know, but, but my comments refer actually to council and to, and to, uh, the bureaucracy because city council ideally is supposed to just be making sort of governance decisions and making suggestions, you know, uh, at a really high level. And then the operations of the city goes to the bureaucracy, um, in an ideal world, it doesn't always happen, but um, so it's both levels that kind of have some challenges from time to time. Gotcha. Well, I, I think that's, I'm fascinated by the entrepreneurial spirit. Like I myself, I'm a freelance. I don't, I don't have a, a, a job as an employee per se. And then so often people who are entrepreneurial like yourself, uh, public office seems to be kind of an, a, a kind of a natural next step. Do you, do you see it? Did you see it that way at the time when you ran for council? Um, you know, I, I actually might disagree with you on that one. Sure. I think most people that are entrepreneurial have no interest in going into <laughs> government and, um, for, for obvious reasons, you know, you, your time becomes not your own, uh, your schedule is not your own. Again, my earlier comments, making decisions is, um, you know, there's a lot of people involved in, in even small decisions, which is unfortunate, but that's just the system. And so I think it's not actually a natural 
thing okay. for most most people. Um, I actually think I'm a bit of an anomaly that way. Hmm. Um, I think most people that are entrepreneurial, you know, stay entrepreneurial. And it could be somebody who's entrepreneurial in, in not in business. It could be, you know, non nonprofits or, you know, people that are entrepreneurial in different ways. Um, but that being said, you know, I think it's uh, it's an asset because, you know, I do have a, a slight level of impatience. And so I do want to, you know, and I, and I do like seeing change and I, I do like seeing things happen. And, and so it's, uh, again, it's not a natural fit, but mm. I've kind of seen both sides and I think there's a way to morph them together. Right on. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a personality thing almost, you know, you've, you've built business, you've, you've seen results, you've, you've managed people, maybe, maybe not yourself, but others think it might translate to politics. And then like, like you say, they get in and the bureaucracy takes over and it's not, it's, it's not what they thought. I wonder. Well, you know, city government is, is, you know, not what most people think, you know, <laughs> the city government, um, you know, you, people see what, what they see in the, in the various forms of media these days, mm-hmm. but really there's a, there's a, it's very complex and there's lots of things that the city talks about that doesn't make the media, you know, just as a, as a, as a one big example is city council spends a lot of time on land usage okay. zoning and deciding what to do with the land and all those sorts of, like an enormous amount of time and people who run for city council and get in there they, they sometimes get surprised about like this is the job <laughs> um so that's not the only job i mean but you know right. but the stuff that makes the news you know if there's police issues or snow removal or or that sort of thing um mm-hmm. but there's there's lots of other things lots of other moving parts that the city has to that the city has to deal with that might not be um, sort of newsworthy or, you know, sexy or fun. So, right, right. Uh, but a lot of it is just making smart decisions that, um, you know, I think with the right experience is very helpful for that. I hear you. Uh, yeah. I wonder about that. Is there, um, I lost my train of thought there, but is there, is there a sense, I guess I had a sense that I was trying to get tuned up for these interviews and I, I found a, there was no central place where I could see your guys' voting records. I could see all the issues laid out. Is there a transparency issue or maybe I'm a bad researcher, but is there a way yeah. for people to inform themselves better? Um, you know, the city, you know, the city has got this whole open government thing and they talk about it all the time and transparency and all these things, but mm-hmm. the city's website is not very good just as an aside. Um, and so it's really hard, you know, even if you search for some keywords, you know, doesn't uh, pull out, doesn't, doesn't show up. Um, all of the stuff though is somewhere. Um, and so the city just does a bad job in putting it together. And okay. so, you know, to your point, you know, it's hard to, you know, there's a list of every committee meeting that's happened. There's a list of who voted for what and what motions were passed and what decisions were made, but it's kind of like, you got to know where to look and you got to mm. really want to delve in. You have to know which committee it was in. Like, so the city does need to do a better job with, with transparency and even who showed up to city council meetings and what was what was voted on like it's all there but it's it's not really uh well indexed or well sort of thought out it's very it's that's one of those things that's done sort of how the city government does things so you know <laughs> i'll give you a bit of a story but sure. there's all these different committees and there's depending what the issue are it goes to a certain committee and then once you discuss it at a committee you know passed a motion if it's going to go anywhere, it goes up to a big city council meeting where we, where the city council votes on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so people would have to know originally which committee that item was on, you know, to go look at that committee to see the minutes and all. like, it's not very well done. It's well done if you know how it works, but if sure. you're a layman, you know, you know, public, it's, it's pretty tough to find some of that information. Right on. Is that in any way something you would, would target if you were yeah. to stay in power? 
Yeah, the you know the this open government initiative and there you know the city sort of won awards I guess for it, but again this is it's it's very much for the there's a for the very few people that really know where to look or the very few people that are are like there's a, you know there's a handful of people that really follow municipal government very closely mm-hmm. and it's like it's so small that you know um, like I don't know their names but if I see their names I know oh yeah right. that's one of them right and the average person who just wants to get some information which is ninety nine percent of the 99% of the population, mm-hmm. uh, the system, the system doesn't very, doesn't do a very good job. And so we need to make it for those people, not for the sort of super keener types, because they'll always find the information. Right. No doubt. So you, you've only been on council for one term. Is that right? Yeah, I was there from 2013 to 2017. So okay. I've got, a, you know, I haven't been there for, for, you know, I left in 2017. Okay. And so I've got a, you know, I like to joke, I've got a, a university degree now in municipal government. So, I, <laughs> For sure. you know, I know how the place works. I know the people, I know the counselors, I know the issues. I know, and I know an incredible amount of somewhat trivial pieces of informa- information. When people, when I go door knocking and people ask me some random question, my volunteers are always shocked that I know, like I'm, I'm never stumped because you learn a lot in four years. Right. Of little, you know, about like, I don't know, somebody asked me the other day about park rangers or about, the Charles Kempsel hospital site. And I know all these answers. And so I, I was there for four, for four years and, but I'm not a career politician. You know, I've, I've done lots of things before, lots of things since. Um, and um, yeah, so I think I've got the benefit of, of both is I know how the place works. I know the issues and I also have a, a you know, a very um, serious outsider perspective of what, what people are thinking and what I think needs to, needs to be done differently. And some of the things the same as well. For sure. Oh, that's interesting because I felt like I'd seen you in public life longer, but right, it's it's as far back as 2013. So, well, you know, I'm very Patrick. I'm very memorable. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, of course well, I'm joking. Yeah, it's uh, you know, people rec- people, you know, if you're there for four years, people see you on a news clip or, sure. you know, so it's so it yeah it sticks around. No doubt. So, at what point did you start to think about making this run for uh, for mayor? Well, it started about a, about a year and a bit ago. So it was the early early summer last year. Okay. Um, I got approached by a bunch of people um, from a variety of uh, different areas of the community, and then some political people. And they, you know, said, "Look, we we think the city needs a a, a different view of you know going forward and a different uh, type of leadership." And and um, so it really started about a you know a year more than a year ago now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at first I just started talking to a few people over last summer and then it just kind of grew. And then some other people came on board and said, look, we'll help you. And, and it kind of morphed, you know, over, I'll say a six month period into, into a decision, which was, uh, you know, in the fall of last year. I hear you. And so as that's gone on and you're out talking to people, are you, are you hearing a lot of the same issues? A lot of the same, what I understand is a lot of the times people just want to talk about what's really close to their heart, like my family, you know, transit, whatever. But are you, what kind, is there a theme? Is there sort of things that, uh, that people are complaining about or, or, or not? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, there's, um, yeah, some people talk about sort of small local issues in their neighborhoods, which, cause that's top of mind or sometimes is even just something that's happening like really recently, because, mm-hmm. you know, you have to understand if you're knocking on someone's door, like they're not expecting a mayoral candidate. And so suddenly they open their door and they're, you know, you give them, you know, I, you know, I do like an introduction and then I ask them sort of what they're, you know, seeing in the city or what the, and so, you know, 
it's kind of out of the blue if you think about it. True. So now they're kind of like, you know, their brain is now turned on to a municipal issues or, you know, and they were watching TV or having, you know, maybe finished dinner or whatever. Um, and so now the, so very, so very, so very often it's a local issue because that's just what happened to them this week, which is totally fine. And then once I start talking to them, they then typically will, you know, sometimes they'll stay there, but sometimes they go into, um, you know, their brain starts thinking about it and they start going to sort of some of these bigger, bigger issues. And so I kind of get a flavor for both. And it's, it's actually really good because the local issues, you know, sometimes they're trivial, I'll be blunt, but some, but, but it gives you a flavor of what kinds of things people are thinking about at the municipal level. And then they also tell me about some of their, you know, opinions about some of the bigger issues. And so I'm uh, happy to, did you, sorry, now I'm talking too long. Did you want me to talk about some of those? No, no. I mean, actually, I would like you to do that. This is all about long form. So I'd, I'd like to hear more from yeah. you than me. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so I'll give you, so I'll, I'll talk a few about the issues that I'm hearing. And then at some point, if you want to, if you're interested, I can talk about what our campaign is going to do about some of these things. Sure. But you know, the number one thing that I hear more often than not is uh, people are very concerned with the economic reality of the city and the province, but specifically the city. Um, and they're concerned about, you know, jobs being lost or um, people becoming underemployed, meaning they don't have the same type of job or they're getting paid less or working less hours. And then small businesses to our earlier conversation that are, you know, flailing and, and you know, some have failed, of course, and just having a hard time, especially with COVID and the economic realities. And, and then it morphs into downtown issues because we've got some pretty significant economic issues and then we've got um, you know homeless challenges downtown and people that need help in a variety of ways so that it typically goes into that area um, and property tax rates like people talk about that all the time because those rates have been going up higher than inflation and cost of living for almost 20 years now pretty much every year and so uh, you know hearing a lot about that um, and so people really want to deal with the economic realities and then they also um, on the other side they want to help the people that need help. And so mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of how we're focusing a lot of the discussions on our campaign, but that's really what I'm, what I'm hearing a lot. And then the last thing I'm hearing is they're very concerned with the relationship with the provincial government that mm-hmm. the city of Edmonton has, because it's, it's brutal right now okay. you know, for a variety of different reasons. Um, happy to talk about that too. And, mm-hmm. and so I've got some pretty concrete plans on how to, how to deal with that. Wonderful. Yeah. And so I guess my question is when it comes to the economy, is that kind of the number one, is that it? Like it's the economy stupid. Like, is that, is that what it is that the, that city council is responsible for chiefly and everything flows from that? It's the economy and there's a lot of uncertainty and people, um, you know, it's the first time in a generation that people do not know where our economic and social successes are going to come from. Mm. And I'm hearing that all the time. There's just this uncertainty mm. of what now. And so uh, a lot of it is economic. A lot of it is social, though, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the economic side, people are just uncertain. And then there's the obviously the broader macroeconomics of the oil business and Alberta's role in that and, um, and, and where, you know, Alberta's economic future lies. And therefore, Edmonton's is a subsect. And we've got a very, we've got a, a pretty diverse economy compared to other areas of the province. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of better off than others, I think. Mm-hmm. But people do have legitimate concerns around that. And then what the city's role is in all these things, because, you know, I'm a private sector background guy, and I've got 
the city experience and you know it's you know a, a city can't a city can't it has a hard time i'll say fixing economy it's got to be the private sector is going to lead it but the city's got to make it easy for the private sector to do that mm. and that's that's the way that that we're thinking about how to what the city's role is is to fix some of these challenges but that's yeah that's the that's the number one concern i hear and then the second one is around helping um you know the homeless population people that are living in in poverty still in it, even in a city like Edmonton, um, there's, there's issues with racism. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's issues downtown. There's, there's lots of these social challenges that are, I'll say, I I'm not saying second cause they're less important, but I just hear them, um, probably slightly less often, but, but that's the number also. So I'll say the number two issue sure. is we can deal with that, but we've got to have the right economic bandwidth in order to afford, um, you know, resources for these social challenges and then some infrastructure challenges that we have as well. Mm, I gotcha. I gotcha. Cause I felt, I wrote down, I'm not sure how ridiculous this sounds, but is there a way in which some of those people who are unhoused, who, who essentially aren't really contributing per se, is there a way that we can integrate them easily into the economy in some way, or obviously some of them can't folks like yeah. that, they can't work, but is there, is there something innovative there that you, that you see maybe that others aren't seeing? Um, so I don't know if you read my platform, but that's like a softball question for me because I got a, a really good plan. I specialize um, in softballs on this show. Okay, good. Um, so we've got a, a uh, so one idea we've got is a social procurement policy plan, which sounds all fancy, but I'll mm-hmm. I'll simplify it. So what what we can do as a city is we can write into all of the procurement uh, tendering contracts. So I'll use a obvious example. So the West LRT is coming. Uh, it's not cancelable, by the way. Anybody who says it's cancelable is, is just wrong. It's the contracts are signed, the land's been expropriated. Like it, it's on. that train, that train's coming down the track. You're not stopping. It would cost more to cancel it than to build it now. Mm. Um, but but as an example, I'm sort of going off nope. off the answer a bit. But That's as right. an example, you know uh, what we can do is we could write into those tendering contracts. Um, to say to the construction companies, look, if you're getting this contract, part of the mandate is, you know, you're hiring entry level, um, I'll say minimum wage or close to minimum wage employees. Mm-hmm. But over the course of a three year construction, you're going to train them up. And so after three years, you know, they're going to graduate with a ticket. And now they're making $40 or $50 an hour. And now you could do that with 100 people a year. Let's I'm just we don't have the numbers worked sure. out as far as the numbers of people, but I'll use that as a, a number that we're starting with. So you could take a hundred people a year that were making minimum wage and in three years, they're now making, you know, you know, triple or more three or four times that. And now you've taken a hundred families out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I, um, there's an entity called end poverty Edmonton, mm-hmm. which is doing um, work around all these sorts of things. Then they've endorsed the plan. And interestingly enough, I, I went and met with the leaders at PCL and Ellis Dawn and Clark Builders and Chandos, and they're all on side to do this. And it's going to cost them money. Sure. So they're doing it for nothing because they're going to train people. But number one is they want to help and they they want to make meaningful contributions to the city. Uh, number two, they want skilled workers. Um, you know, the unions are also in favor because they want unionized workers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then this helps the city. And so it's, it's really, a, and then it helps obviously the individuals. And so this is, this is some of the really concrete uh, ways that we can make a dent more than a dent, but we can make a pretty significant impact in, in a bunch of people's lives. And that's where I see the role of the government. And especially when we can partner with the private sector, right? like this, and they're on side and you just got to, 
you know, know how to talk to them and make sure that, that they do have some wins because they all want to help, but they've got to have a bit of a win as well. Right. And so these are kind of the ideas rather than trying to talk about ending poverty and throwing tax money at things like, you know, these are the kind of ideas that we've got that are going to move the needle forward on these challenges. No, that's great. And it seems to me that like, yeah, those corporations, they want to help, they want to make contributions, but also the 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 idea of casting some of those people, the, the homeless, the people that can't work, whatever, uh, casting them aside seems kind of short-sighted because there's a whole labor force there that just needs a little bit of a boost to get integrated. Yeah, you know, there's, you know, and, and some of the people that I'm talking about aren't, like, they're not homeless, they're just, they're living in poverty, like, they've just got a tough go of it, you know, they their families just barely make enough to scrape by. And they have a hard time. And then the, the the populations that homeless, I mean, that are, you know, unfortunately find themselves in homelessness is, is pretty, it's a complex problem. You know, there's, a, there's a thousand more homeless people now than there was before COVID. So for all the talk of Edmonton trying to end homelessness, there's a thousand more than there was a year and a half ago. And then that number is gone. You know, we don't know exactly, but it's pretty accurate from about 15 to 1600 to about 2,500. Okay. Um, and some of the people, they just need a bit of help and they just need a leg up and they need, you know, a temporary, uh, I'll say fix to then, you know, get them back on their feet. And then there's some people who then could, you know, join workforce and, and, you know, and, and, and have a, a, a contribution to society in that sort of way. And then there's some people that are, you know, have men, mental challenge, mental uh, health challenges, addiction challenges, very often both. Um, and you know, they're going to need wraparound services, for the rest of their lives and that's just part of what society needs to do sure. and then everybody in between and so it's really complex and you know our plans are around doing as much as we can for as many people you know unfortunately you know we're not you know people don't like it when i say this but we're not going to end it um there's unfortunately always going to be people falling into homelessness homelessness and uh, what we have to do is make sure that their times are brief and not reoccurring and not chronic mm-hmm. and then help as many people as possible. And, um, you know, so the city does have a responsibility uh, along with other levels of government, uh, but the city does have a responsibility right. to help, help people. No, definitely. Yeah. I think that's apt when you say it's a mental health problem in a lot of ways. Um, I, I saw this clip on your Instagram, so I'll lob another softball at you. But this is a provi- this is a provincial mandate. But the supervised consumption and safe drug supply is that is that a step toward uh, helping these people or helping people that need the help? Yeah. Well, first of all, I like the softball questions. You should ask me like, <laughs> okay. like why are you so great? Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. For you know, sure. <laughs> what makes you? Um, anyway, um, you know the a lot of these challenges are are. Um, you know, provincial, I'll say, mm-hmm. um, especially the, obviously the healthcare challenges and the supervise, you know, the, the drug people that are addicted to drugs and that sort of thing uh, really are the mandate of the province. Mm-hmm. The challenges at the city level is we only have about 6% of the tax dollars. So all the, do- all the taxes that you pay, you know, property taxes, income taxes, you know, gasoline taxes, like everything you pay in your life in taxes, GST, mm-hmm. um, most of it goes to the federal and provincial governments and the cities only get about six cents of that. 
So when you think of the costs of all these really big things, especially healthcare and, and the like, it's just really tough for municipalities to, to pay for it. Right. Um, so that's the, that's the big challenge. Um, and that's, you know, and it's not in the mandate of the cities, but when, when federal governments or provincial governments don't do their job, sometimes, you know, cities have to step in because it's the right thing to do. We've got no choice, but it's also more importantly, it's the right thing to do. Um, the supervised consumption sites, you know, if someone's addicted to a drug, you know, if someone's, you know, well, let me back up. There's more people last year that died of opioid overdoses in Alberta than COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, people might not appreciate wow. that. That's how serious that epidemic is. And then we've got people that are, so there's people that are addicted to opioids and other drugs that have very serious addictions. This is not a, you know, contrary to what some people might think, it's not a, like, it's not a personality flaw i don't know how to put it that way but it's not like something just wrong with them or they're i don't know they're lazy or they like it or whatever this is a medical mm-hmm. condition and a lot of it's sometimes connected to mental health or past trauma or, or issues like that and so it's a, it needs to be treated as such and one of the treatments not the only one but one of the treatments are these supervised consumption sites because they're supervised you know if they do have unfortunately have an overdose or the drugs aren't um, or too much or whatever, you know, people don't die, you know, and then they get treated. And then over time, and not everybody, of course, you know, you know, people fall through cracks and it, not everything works for everybody, but the va- but over time people can then get treatment uh, and they can eventually, you know, get off drugs and they have a productive life and all these other challenges. But sometimes you have to intervene pretty early. And one of the ways of doing it is these supervised consumption sites. It's not the be all that end all, but sites save lives and it's the right thing to do. It stops people from, you know, if I can be a bit graphic, you know, shooting up in the alley behind someone's house, you know, like it's like, it's just the, it's just one of these right things to do. Um, you're not helping them. They're going to be doing it anyway, the drugs. And so you're not making it easier for them to use drugs at all. And there's still kind of a, a hassle for people to go there. Right. Um, so it's the right thing to do. Uh, we have a challenge in the city that we probably have too many in one area, but uh, which we got to deal with. But generally speaking, this is one form of, of assistance and treatment that, that we should be providing. Yeah, no, for sure. I wonder too, like, are some of these problems, like it's one thing to run a business, but when you're, when you're managing essentially a city of a million or so people, do you have to throw up your hands in some ways and say, these problems are too big to solve completely, but we just need to find ways to, as you said, maybe help as many people as possible or start making inroads yeah, you know, and I'm also a fan of quick wins because one of the challenges we've had lately is we just talk about this ending these things and then we have meetings and, <laughs> and you know and, and group things and I don't know consultation and bringing in a task force and now it's like two years later, right? right. And so my 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 views is yeah you, you know you got to consult experts you got to figure out what the right thing is to do and then just do something it's to our earlier earlier thing and this is not something you're going to take a risk on mm-hmm. but you got to you got to just start acting and you got to act early and even if you help a few people early um but not everybody you know quick there's nothing wrong with having some quick wins and so like that social procurement plan i've got you know i'm going to help 100 people a year let's just again i don't know the number but sure. i'm using that as our ballpark starting point it's not going to solve poverty in Edmonton, but boy, you can take a hundred families out of poverty. Like think about what that impacts, not only the, for sure those people, but, but the community at large and crime rates and all sorts of other things. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm very much this, you know, let's get some action, get some quick wins. And then you can, you know, you can see how things are working adjust as needed to add, do more, 
<clears throat> you know, but if we just keep talking about these things without doing anything, mm-hmm. we're waiting for other levels of government to do something, which then takes forever, especially around, you know, the provincial and especially the federal government. They just, you know, everything's just so bureaucratic. So right. anyway, that's where I think the city needs to step up. No, I think that's right. And also you take those, those hundred families out of poverty. Think about that generationally now where those, those children and their children are suddenly contributing more than they might have. Yeah. And one thing, you know, I learned that when I was at the city, you know, like I'm fortunate, I've got a pretty, you know, I've had a successful business, you know, a lot of my, um, a lot of people I know are, you know, doing fine in Edmonton. And, and, you know, one thing I learned when I was at the city and you spend those four years and people might not appreciate this if they're in a situation where, you know, they're hanging out with their friends or their family and they go to a restaurant or they, you know, go on a vacation and they do their things. There's a lot of families in Edmonton uh, that are literally are, are living in that are below the poverty line and they're just scrambling every month to pay their rent or to get by. And they're not, you know, they're not doing anything else. They're just, you know, trying to work and trying to just provide for their families, just get by. And, and we don't see that a lot because it's kind of a quiet thing here. And so, um, you know, I got exposed to that quite a bit and, and we need to do something to help as many of those people as we can. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, well, okay. You, you brought it up a little bit there when we were talking about uh, supervised consumption and whatnot, and earlier that your Edmonton's relationship with the provincial government not stellar at the moment. Um, are you are you guys is, is council in some ways handcuffed uh, by how much they can really affect when when there's you know levels coming down? Um, a little bit, but but more than people might think. So you know, our relationship as a municipality is, is really important one is with the provincial government, the federal government, they provide funding per capita across the, the city or across, sorry, across the country. Gotcha. So, you know, for, doesn't matter who the mayor is, the federal government is going to make contributions in the areas that they want to make contributions. So right now the federal government's big on, you know, affordable housing, environmental issues, mm-hmm. indigenous issues. And so, you know, they're going to put, as an example, there's others, but they're going to put money into that and Edmonton's going to get their share. In fact, over the last few years, we've actually gotten less than our prorated share on a lot of these hmm. files, which is pretty disappointing because apparently we have pretty good connections to the federal government here. Um, but anyway, I digress. The real important relationship is with the province. Okay. Cities and municipalities only exist because of the Municipal Government Act, which is provincial legislation, which hmm. allows cities to, to uh, exist. And so the really important relationship was with the province and most of the federal funding, by the way, goes through the province and then, and then into municipalities. And so right now we've just got this terrible relationship with the provincial government. Um, it wasn't much better with the previous provincial government as an aside. I mean, and I'm happy to have a candid conversation as I am um, with, with anybody, mm-hmm. you know, when the previous government was in power, you know, the NDP, they were very much trying to get support in Calgary and in the rural mm. areas. And so they kind of forgot about Edmonton, even though that was a base of their support. And now the current UCP government is sort of doing the same thing because they have no support in Edmonton. And, and I'll be blunt, our current um, mayor and their office has been fighting with them for, you know, I don't know, a few years now on all these different issues. And so what's happened is all these resources um, from the provincial government, you know, uh, as going to Calgary. So, for example, the tech sector there is getting a bunch of money and Edmonton's been ignored. The Calgary airport um, got some debt relief um, during COVID. The Edmontons did not. The U of A's been getting uh, serious cutbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, not nearly to the same scale as percentage. Mm. And, 
you know, we, and, and we know the support of the province is going into the rural communities and Calgary, especially. And so we're left off the table. And so whenever the city does ask the province for something, you know, it's, it's obviously it's political um, and we're, we're losing out. And it's because we have a terrible relationship with the provincial government. So as the mayor of Edmonton, the only, your only sole uh, responsibility really is the city of Edmonton, not political, ideological beliefs or anything right. else. And so you've got to make decisions that are in the best interest of the city and people who live here. And that's not happening right now. And so we've got a lot of work to fix that relationship and try to get at least our fair share of the resources. And that's not happening right now. Hmm. It's not happening right now. now do, so is that something then that's top of mind for you because real progress would require a better relationship? Like, again, you can only do so much and you're not yeah, getting no. your, Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's totally top of mind. Like it's a, it's a really big deal. I mean, the money that's left off the table um, is significant um, and it's, but it's more than the money. It's just the attention and it's mm. just all the sort of soft things that then happen or even some of the quiet things about, you know, driving, um, you know, new business to goes to Calgary when something's coming from outside of the province, you know, mm. and they have, and somebody wants to go through the provincial government, if it's a big deal, you know, they kind of funnel things quietly to Calgary now. Like it's, it's really hurting our city in a, in a numerous in numerous ways and then the money you know mm. um, and then um yeah and so you know we've got to be you know a bit more i'll say um politically agnostic and kind of smart about these things mm. and i'm not you know you know if i'm fortunate enough to win it doesn't matter to me who the provincial government is right. i'm not you know uh, i'm going to do whatever i can to get the best deal for the, the city of edmonton 100 and 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 uh, for the next two years or so is going to be the UCP government and I'll do what I can to get the best deal from them. And then if they're the government or somebody else is, I'll, I'll, I'll do the same uh, for, you know, two years from now. Right on. Now is, is what's going on in the provincial government to your knowledge or to your point of view of it is, is there a lot of corporate interest there or a lot of like, again, is it now that we're at where we've, we're a level up in scale and there's a lot more interest, a lot more, I'm not going to say uh, corruption, but uh, serving other interests at the provincial level. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm, I actually, I, I don't know. I'm not going to comment that I'm not trying to be careful. I actually don't know. Like okay. I, okay. you know, I, I know some people in the UCP government. I know people that were in government. I know some people that are in the NDP mm -hmm. opposition, and, um, but I'm not very much, I'm not really connected to anybody. So I don't, mm -hmm. so I don't really know enough about what's happening at the provincial level. No problem. I think this got me thinking we could, we could backtrack a little bit to something, I've heard it said that it's it's harder and harder to do business in this city as far as permitting and, and whatnot is. And I know that's something I saw on your platform that you're looking to just simplify. Here's another yeah. softball, <laughs> making it easier to sort of get up and running or, or keep running your business here. Well, you know, I'm trying, you know, one of you know, I'm an entrepreneur and one of the things, you know, I'm going to do when I uh, hopefully win is, is to make it easy to do business in the city. And I'm not talking about, giveaways to the you know private sector and big corporate whatever that people might think that means what i mean is you know just make it easy for people to do whatever they want to whatever they want to do within the rules and i don't even mean i also don't mean i'll talk about business in a second but i also mean anybody like if you're a cultural group or a, you know a community group and you want to do something in your community right now it's brutally hard to deal with the city hmm. and you know we have to make it easy for everyone to build whatever they want to build do whatever they want to do like again, within the rules, and it's reasonable, and, and it's obviously in the best interest of the city. Uh, but assuming that's the case, we have to make it easy for them, and that includes the business community. In Edmonton, you know, it's about sixty percent of our economy is small and medium businesses. About ten percent is big businesses, not very much, and then about thirty percent is 
public servants, so either government, healthcare, education. But, you know, it's not but. So 60% is small, medium businesses. And mm. so if you're trying to, you know, open up a little shop or you're trying to, you know, do a renovation or you're, you know, you're trying to build a infill house, it's just brutal right now trying to get anything done. Permitting time takes forever. Uh, not only does it take forever, it's unknown. So everyone's waiting for permits to come in. Um, and the city is kind of using this top-down approach about like, this is all the things you have to do. These are all the boxes you have to check. If you miss one, we'll put it on the bottom of the pile. We'll see you in three months. Like it's, it's brutal. And they should be going to the business community mm-hmm. and the cultural groups and community groups and saying, look, what do you want to do and how can we help you? Right. And so to use my, my that checkbox analogy, so then if somebody comes in with a development permit application and they forgot to do something or something's not quite right, mm-hmm. you know, the culture should be, okay, well, how can we help you just fix this one little thing you missed and let me, so you can go and get that thing done. Mm-hmm. And that's not what's happening right now. And so if you're trying to do one of these things, it's literally months and months and months. So my plan is to have a 30-day automatic permitting, which sounds like a simple thing, but it's actually, it's not that if somebody comes in, they've checked the boxes, mm-hmm. they've done everything they're supposed to do. Um, Cause what happens now is sometimes it sits on someone's desk or it goes from department to department. No one knows where it is. And it's months mm-hmm. that the city administration has 30 days to approve it or it's defaults to being approved. Mm-hmm. So if they don't want to look at it and they don't have the inclination to do it, it's approved because um, if someone's coming and they've checked all the box, they've got stamped drawings from engineers and architects and all the things you have to do mm-hmm. is one of the boxes. Sure. Those people aren't stamping those drawings unless it's within the regulations. Right. right. So, and by the way, the, they have the li- legal liability, so they're not going to, they're, they're going to make sure it's done. So gotcha. those are the kind of ways you can push the administration and eventually change the culture to get some stuff done. And it's no different in community groups. I've got an example. There was a, 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 I don't want to mention specifically, but there was a community group who was trying to build a building and they wanted to buy some land from the city because the city's a landowner, mm-hmm. a really big landowner, which I'm also going to fix. Um, and, the, and the city had a deal and they said, okay, we'll sell you the land market value, totally fair. Everything's above board, mm-hmm. but you've got two years to build your building. You know, and this community group had to fundraise and then get it designed, but they didn't want to design it. Like they had to get drawings done, but they don't want to spend the money. You know, to, but you need drawings to show to people, you know, to say, look, we want to fundraise, sure. you know, give us, you know, get donations, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So they need some certainty in the city that the land's available, but the city says, well, you got to get this done in two years or we're taking the land back. And this community group is like, well, we can't get the money raised and do all this stuff in two years. We need four years. And the city's like, well, no, sorry. See you later. Right. Like brutal. And then this is like, um, this is outside the hand day. This is like greenfield land. Like it's right. just going to sit there for four years. Uh-huh. So it's not like they had some other entity wanting it. And so those are the kind of stories I hear all the time. Mm-hmm. And the city should be going to that group saying, what do you want to build? How can we help you? And they're like, we want to build this community building. It's like, it's generally the, in the right, um, I'll say uh, what the city wants, mm-hmm. you know, it's part of the, everything's it's, it's, it's not a, it's a good idea, everything. So how can we help you get that done? Not, this is our rules. This is what you need to do. Right. And a big problem at the city level on a bunch of different uh, things like that. But that, those are the kind of stories I hear. And hmm. so those are the kind of things I'm going to work on. Right on. I guess what occurred to me first was, is it a labor issue? Like, are there just not enough people in permitting? And then I started wondering if it's just a culture problem and you have to affect some kind of a culture change from the top down. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a culture problem. It's not a, it's not a, People problem, you know, the city's budget, which we haven't talked about in tax rates, which I'd love to talk about. Sure. <laughs> the city's operational budget is gone from uh, when I left in 2017, it was 2.7 billion, and now it's 
1.1 billion. So it's gone that much higher in four years during COVID, during pretty, um, I'll say, mediocre economic times at best. Um, and nobody else, you know, and so we don't have a, we have a spending problem. We don't have a, a revenue problem. And we've, so we've got the people, mm. we just have to make sure the people are focused on the right things. And right now they're not focused on the right things. Okay. I think I just might've walked, stepped on you there. You went, it went from 2.7 billion to 3.1 billion. Yeah. In the last four years, the last four the years, operating, the operating budget. And then we spend about 10% of the operating budget on the debt on mm. the capital side. Sure. So, um, yeah, so it's it's like we have a very expensive uh, city right now. The operations city, uh, we spend a lot of money per person, more so than I think every other big city in the country. Right on. I'm getting slightly out of my depth here, so I'll just keep asking questions. Like you, you want to talk about the city budget? Uh, it, so it is a spending problem. Where where do you see funds going where they maybe shouldn't be going, or what's? Yeah, please tell me your yeah. what's sticking in your um, craw there. Well, there's a lot of things that, you know, municipal government, I mean, I, I, we talked about that 6% earlier, mm-hmm. that we get 6% of the dollar. And, you know, that is supposed to be for municipal services, municipal level government services, police, fire, parks, transportation, transit, roads, you know, all these, you know, uh, these kind of things. And mm-hmm. what's happened over the last few years is the city's been spending money on things that are outside the purview of municipal government, mm-hmm. well-meaning. You know, but just trying to do everything for everybody and maybe taking over when other levels of government don't want to spend the money. But if other levels of government don't want to spend the money and it's their area, right. I'm not sure the city should be stepping in, for mm-hmm. example. Right? You know, if that's the if that's the challenge, talk to your MLA or MP and say we need, you know, we need the other levels of government to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's happened? So then there's the so I'll use an I'll use uh, one example. So the city is a big landowner and a big developer in the city. Mm-hmm. Um like they develop private development. People don't understand. People might not know this, that the city, you know, when a, the city owns land outside the Hende, they sell lots. Like it's crazy. The big example is Blatchford. So when the city closed the Blatchford airport and they're building this environmental uh, um, uh, new, new uh, d- subdivision, I guess I'll say. Sure. And over the last, so that was 12 years ago, we've put in 200 million dollars, right? And there's 20 townhouses, that are not all sold right. and they're all, and they're all, they started at 550. So it's above market value, hmm. you know, and if you want to buy one, you're now living in a construction zone for 20 years because it's going so brutally slow. Right. And why is the city a developer? Why are they the developer? Like, why are they doing that? It's not the role of the city government. They should be zoning it. You put in the environmental uh, vision, you put in the zone, no problem with that, but let the private sector do what the private sector does. They'll do it faster cheaper and they'll build that thing out exponentially uh fa- you know faster without risk to the taxpayer and this that whole blatchford thing when i started at city council you know it was supposed to be making you know a billion dollars and now it's been watered down over the years so now the environmental stuff's watered down mm. and now it's gonna now they're talking about um subsidizing it never mind making a billion it went down for breaking even now anyway subsidizing housing for people who want to live there like it's it's nuts and the private sector they would do it, but they they want to do it. They don't want the city involved. Right. And so you can do it with the private sector. They'll you sell the land to them as, at market value. Mm-hmm. You tender it out so it's fair, and you get the city out of land development. takes the takes the um, risk off the taxpayers. And then oh by the way, you finally have 600 hectares, which is huge, um, actually paying property tax because right now that right. land is generating zero property tax. Right. So we're all for it in that regard. Um, so those are the kind of things that the city's gotten themselves into that they should not, 
like literally should not be into. So that's <laughs> that kind of stuff that I'm that really does affects, you know, our debt our debt on the books. It affects our operations. Uh, and now the city's worried about that, trying to you know put resources to that when they should be putting resources to all the other things that we've talked about. You know, so it's I get quite worked up because it's it's crazy that they're involved in. And there's lots of other examples like that. Sure. No doubt. Now, was the Blatchford thing, uh, was that put up to a vote quite simply, or is it more nuanced than that? How the city ended up caretaking on that? Um, it was put up, it was, bef- it was actually done before I was actually even on there. And that's how long ago. And then when I was there, I was trying to get the city out of it and I didn't get the votes. And then I, I finally got the votes to get a advisory, at least a private sector advisory board on there to help um, the city, you know, deal with it, but the city, uh, how the bureaucracy works. So they had to do it, even though they didn't like it because it was a motion. But then what they kind of stacked the board with, I don't know, people who aren't really private sector or, you know, and then they kind of all, it's a bit of a story, but they eventually all left. And I don't know what happened there, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. But sometimes when the city bureaucracy that doesn't agree with city council, they kind of have ways to you know, over time get their way. But um, yeah, but I, you know, I'll fix, I'll fix this problem. And, let the private sector do it, keep the same environmental vision and just get this thing going. Right on. It's a huge opportunity. Like if you want to achieve, if you want to achieve our environmental goals and our infill goals, just build Blatchford out. Right. Like you literally wouldn't have to do anything else in the city. <laughs> we still will do stuff in the city, but like literally you don't have to do anything else. Like it's, it's, it's crazy bad. That's a prime piece of land. Do you, do you imagine there would be developers kind of champing at the bit to get on there? Like you, you put it out, I guess, for a, a yeah, I talked to some of them. You put it to tender and let everyone bid out. So it's totally fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've talked to some of the, I've talked to some developers and some of the developers are actually building the same environmental standard in new subdivisions outside the city right now. Mm-hmm. Like this was 12 years ago. So think about how the world's changed in 12 years. So they're all trying to build out sustainable developments in the same. So it's actually Blackford is not going to be anything uh, over the top special, actually. Like there'll be some interesting features, but it's going to be from an environmental standpoint, similar to other areas and other developers. Yeah, they're, they're interested, but they're interested only if, you know, the city's not involved and same thing with the builders because the developers sort of just develop the land and put in the underground, you know, the roads and the sure. sewer and the underground stuff. And then, they sell lots to builders who then build these houses. And sometimes it's the same company, but very often it's not. Mm. Um, but these, but what's happened right now at Blatchford is the big builders, they won't touch it because they can't make money. Like they've got to build the houses and then sell it. Mm. And with the way the city's running it, they can't make money. And that's why there's only you know 20 townhouses because they're being built by these very small uh, niche builders who build a couple houses a year. Like it's, it's not the way to develop 600 hectares. And so the big builders and the big developers will do it, um, but they they want it, they don't want the city involved because they can't they can't make it work. And I'm not a you know I'm not a you know I'm not a you know trying to sell the big developers. I'm just trying you know I don't really care who does it. I just want right. it to work. Now it's right now it's it's not. I got you. So safe to say that if you if you became mayor, investing in one of those townhomes might be a, as an income property might be something to think about. Um, well, I'll wait. I'd, you know, if I didn't become the mayor, I'd wait until you know the, the market fell out of the bottom of those things. But yeah, it's it's it really is like if anybody has the inclination to go drive by there, like it's it's a huge piece of land. It's huge and it's got potential because of the location, um, but it's just been mis- mishandled in a serious way. Hmm. And that that what you're saying right there, mishandled in a serious way, is not. There's other things about the city that people would probably say that about. 
an idea I've been kind of working on is Edmonton is a fairly young city, a hundred yeah. or so years old. Is, is it just a matter of getting out of this sort of nascent young stage to, to, to get to that sort of uh, next level of thinking about what a city could be? Are, are we kind of tripping, you know, over ourselves or how do, does that make any sense to you? Or do you, what do you see there? Um, so, you know, uh, so Edmonton is, I, I thought you were going to go a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. So don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll come sure. back to it. Edmonton's also, excuse me, um, a very young city age-wise. Like, I think we're the youngest wow. city in the country as an average age. Interesting. Us in, us in Calgary, actually. And I don't know who's one and two. I, I can't remember. But we're very young population-wise. We've got a young population. Huh. Um, and one of the challenges we have right now is because we are, yeah, we are a young city. We, you know, uh, the you know Western Canada is, you know, obviously younger than than other areas of the country. And so... Uh, we do, we haven't quite matured in a full way, but if you think of like, you're probably, you're, you're too young, but when I was, you know, when I was in my twenties and people, most of my friends left and went to Toronto and Vancouver and other places, you know, Edmonton was uh, this, you know, prairie town and it was, you know, it was fine. And I had a great upbringing Unfortunately, I made the right decision to stay here, mm-hmm. but it wasn't what it is now. Like now, even in those, you know, since that, you know, 30 years, it's, it's evolved in a big way. I mean, we've got much cooler things going on, restaurants and yeah. all these yeah. things. So we, we have taken a pretty substantial step. But now what I find is we're we're now thinking, I think, a little bit too far in the future. So a lot of these city plans are like this 40-year plan for the next million people, you know, because, you know, the city's projected to have 2 million people in some period of time. You know, I don't know if that's, I mean, we're still growing even during COVID. We still have an influx of people. Mm. So it's still growing. Um so no one knows how long it's going to take to get to 2 million people, but we keep talking about that, but we're not talking about the next like five years, 10 years, two years. And so right now it just feels like the city is, you know, the city is like under construction. The entire city feels like it's being renovated. For sure. Like honestly, every, everywhere you go, especially downtown, but it just feels like it's being renovated. And we got to think about like, like it's enough. Let's finish everything that we got going on right now and let's enjoy the place and beautify it, make it look, make it look, nice and you know when people are driving around or visiting you know it makes a big big difference about what this how the city looks and 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 obviously you know i'm just not a fan for having construction for 30 years to try to build out for 40 years you can do these things over time uh-huh. especially when you know how things are going to things are going to are going to shape up in the future here there's a lot of a lot of unknown and a lot of uncertainty so i think we have to really start focusing a bit more on the on the short term shorter term a future of the city and really try to make it interesting for people that are interesting, exciting and a place that people want to stay now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. A lot of interesting stuff there. I didn't know about that, about the age demographic thing. Yeah. And you're right. The whole damn city is from Terwilliger drive to Saskatchewan drive. Really. It's, it's, but I guess because we have a short construction season, it's kind of compacted maybe, but what, what do you see? Um, what do you see as kind of in the short to medium term future? Is there a shift coming in terms of what industries populate Edmonton's downtown? Like, are we, are, is there a shift away from oil and gas? Maybe that's yeah. a longer term thing, but AI, like. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was actually, I was an investor in one of the AI companies in town and I know a little bit about it. Um, you know, the technology sector generally, of course, is the up and coming mm-hmm. sector. Um, though what people don't, maybe don't understand, don't appreciate is right now it's only 3% of our economy. So, you know, people talk about it because it's the up and coming sector. It's sexy. It's all like, it's I have nothing all good. Mm-hmm. It's only 3%. So 
you know, if we double it, it's only 6%. I know the math doesn't quite work because of fractions, but, you know, you know, so even if we, if we, even if we, it starts, you know, growing pretty substantially, it's still single digit percentages of our economy. So we've got to do what we can to support that sector. Um, my company is, you know, morphed into a technology company. So I know quite a bit about it. Um, there's existing companies that are becoming tech, uh, tech companies. There's companies that are moving here. There's companies that are starting here. Uh, yeah. So that's for sure the future over time. Uh, but that being said, you know, currently and for the next foreseeable shorter term future, you know, <clears throat> I keep going back to that, you know, 60% of these small, medium businesses, which are, you know, mom and pop shops, you know, providing services and products, you know, local locally that are not necessarily full on tech companies. So we can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. We have to make it easy for them to succeed and do what we can there. And we still have to promote the tech sector. Every city in the world is trying to be the next tech sector. So mm -hmm. we've got some advantages with the University of Alberta and Nate and what's coming out of there. You know, we've got a lot of startups, um, but they're startups and, you know, startups are great and they're cool and all those things. But, you know, until you're, you know, hired, I mean, to be blunt, until you've got a bunch of employees and you're buying services and products in the city and supporting the economy, you know, it's kind of fun to have a little startup, but it's not really going to be material to the economic success of the city. So, and, and most of them don't work. I mean, unfortunately, you know, 90% of startups fail. So mm -hmm. what we got to do is really promote the next stage set, set of companies that have got some traction and that are hiring people and get them from five people to 20 people to a hundred people, and then try to, you know, promote to get the odd, the odd company to move here. But it's, you know, it's for, for an Edmonton, a city like Edmonton, it's going to be for the most part homegrown mm -hmm. businesses. And so we've got to, you know, what the city's role there is to really help, Entities that are coming out of the UVA, for example, or Nate and and somebody with a really cool idea and a startup idea to try to you know get them to become a, a, one of these businesses that are hiring people and and making a contribution to the economy and and that's where the city can really uh, play a role. You know, talking about innovation just to talk about innovation is kind of a waste of time. It's, you know, it's cool, but it's, what does it what does it do? You got to talk about companies that are actually hiring people and. And then the other thing is, you know, we've got this great education system. So we have people graduating from UOA and COVID has taught us that people can work anywhere now. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a story with somebody, a simple one. I've got somebody in my office who wanted during COVID uh, went down to, wanted to move to Calgary and they were in our office in Edmonton. And that whole team was always, um, the team that he works for has always uh, been in the office in Edmonton. And we're like, well, everyone's working from home. Sure. Go to Calgary. We'll try it out. And now he lives in Calgary and he's not coming back. Um, and, and that's what we don't want. Right. And that's, but that's what's happening is it goes both ways. And so we've got to make um, sounds like I'm avoiding the specifics, but I think it's really important. You've got to make the city interesting, mm -hmm. dynamic, um, economically viable, have lots of cool things going on, all these things that we've been talking about on the call. So people want to stay here and live here and mm -hmm. then they're going to build a business here or they're going to go work at another company in another city, but live here. Like these are all the kind of things that the side things that, that the city's government role is to, to make sure that our economy, um, you know, gets, gets, gets some strength. Yeah, no doubt. That's well said. It's interesting how culture and, and economics sort of envelope each other there where they both, they, they feed into each other and they, they support each other. It has to be a place that people want to do business. And it sounds like you have a good idea of, of getting it there. I appreciate all the insight on that, Michael, and I do appreciate your time. Yeah, all good. Happy to be here. Right on. If, if people want to uh, learn more about you or support you, it's just michaeloshry.ca. Anything else they should know? 
Um, I don't know. We, we seem to cover a lot of, a lot of things. Um, yeah, they can go on the website and there's uh, lots of information on there. Um, obviously look for any support I can get in a variety of ways, volunteers, lawn signs, donations, the usual. Mm-hmm. Um, more importantly though, there's a, a link to our platform. There's a link uh, um, to some very specific ideas. We're adding more platform pieces over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, some of the things aren't, aren't, aren't on there. They're ready to go, but we're just kind of wait a couple of weeks Federal elections also putting a bit of a <laughs> no kidding a on, the, on the municipal campaigning. Um, yeah, stealing anyway, your thunder a bit there. Yeah, a little bit for a couple of weeks, but that's okay. Um, yeah, but so there's lots of information, and the people can always get a hold of me. I'm happy to talk to anybody at any time. So, uh, Patrick, thank you for having me on. I very much appreciate it. Had yeah. fun. Hey, okay. I did too. Appreciate that, Michael. Uh, best of luck on the campaign, and uh, hope to see you in there come October 18th. I'm doing my best. Thanks. Alrighty. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review.